Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaubner and today my guest is Danielle Valores and we're going to be talking all about breast implant illness. Danielle and I met at a self-work conference about a year ago and she's an amazing certified physician assistant and the founder of the BIHS Breast Implant Health Summit and founder clinician at NavWell RX an integrative health practice. Danielle has over 20 years of experience in the medical field as a PA, field clinical engineer, and medical researcher. She's committed to inform, treat, and advocate for patients who have been diagnosed with breast implant illness and other implantable device-related issues. Danielle has recently submitted a research protocol on how to optimize health hosting the explant, otherwise known as the HOPE protocol. I hope you enjoy this podcast with myself and Danielle. Dolores, welcome. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Oh, well, I'm so glad this finally lined up. We got to meet each other at the CellCore conference last year, um, and I was just so impressed with your knowledge and your story and all the wonderful work you're doing in the world. And I just thought, I have to have you on the podcast. So I'm glad this time finally came. And for those of out there who are new to you and your work, just tell us a little bit about your story and you know the work that you do right now. And then we'll dive into your journey with breast implant illness. Sure. So I'm, I've been a PA, a physician assistant since 1999. And so mm-hmm. I've been wonderfully trained by Western medicine. And, and there was some great learning there. And that took me down a, a trajectory in which I started to do medical research for a device company in cardiology. So I was primed for research in class three medical devices. I own my own little clinic. It's called Navwell RX now. And that's only been like the last seven years, but. I say all the Western medicine and I say all the class three medical device research that I've done because at 48, I lost about 40 pounds. And so, uh, and I was in the best shape of my life. And I literally thought, you know, I would like to have a chest now. I never had one. I always looked like I was always a tomboy, always flat, always this. So I went and I got them. And then literally, and I had at the time Graves disease which Mm -hmm. is an autoimmune disease. And within three months, like my body started to swell. I started to, I wasn't gaining weight, but I was gaining volume and -hmm. getting very puffy. And that turned into edema. And then like, literally, I wish we could show pictures on here because you wouldn't be able to see my ankle. And then I couldn't work out and fatigue and things like that. So that all happened when I got the implants. And then like slowly, it wasn't really even slowly in hindsight, but looking at the functional medicine timeline, I was like, huh, this only happened with the implants. And so it took me about a year, year and a half to decide to explant them because everybody told me it wasn't my implants. Everybody, like everybody. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't at the time understand being unknowing or being connected with myself or or believing, I just knew something wasn't right, but I was 48. Mm. Maybe it's menopause, right. perimenopause. Maybe, maybe it's this. Oh, I had an ovarian cyst. Oh, I have a cervical herniated. Like you get all these things. And it's like, this is life. Who? Yeah. If that was life, then sign, sign me out. Right. Yeah. So long story short, I explanted and I woke up and I knew 
that I was better or on the road to recovery, right? And I was at least 70, 80% better in that moment. Wow. But my mind was like, maybe it's the anesthesia. I'll wait till tomorrow to see. And it stayed and it stayed. And there's more to that story. But yeah. that when I woke up, that's when I knew I had to research this. I had to look at this. I had to, others should not go through this. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then there, you know, depends on which wheel of the story you'd like to go from there. So yeah. that's how I get into breast implant anything. Yeah. And then breast implant health is that we should be able to do more, better, different, be informed, have screening, and then have interventions when we need them, like explant, like drainage pathways opening, like all of these things, right? Um, so so fast forward to now, we just submitted again to an IRB to have the first how to optimize post-explant um, clinical trial. So we can actually be able to train or other people can train themselves how to how to be versed and how to help people with implants. But this is any implantable device. Yeah, yeah. Heart valves, this is dental, this is hips, knees, meshes, especially meshes, and penile implants and things like that. And then face implants. So yeah. did you know, and I just found this out in October, face implants, cheek implants, like they're all hard silicone. And uh, like all these things, I mean, they do wonderful things for people, but they're all made of silicone and they're all, even the meshes, the the poly, uh, the bio uh, meshes that stay in the body for hernias and pelvic meshes, they are all class two medical devices, which means they just had predecessors that did okay. So they just let these on the market. No studies. Wow. So how many of these people... If we're looking for dental implants and dental caries or um, infections from root canals and wisdom teeth, what can be housed in this body? Yeah. We should know enough in 2023 how to help these people. And we do. Yes. Oh, no. I I mean, right. This is where we all connected, you know, at the conference, you know, this uh, passion to educate and just, you know, find a better way. And there's some, you know, implants that are like life-saving and necessary, right? Like you yeah. want heart valves and things like that. And then, you know, the cosmetic industry, I have a lot of compassion for, and I, you know, totally understand the desire to, you know, look and feel beautiful. And, you know, I, I just challenge us to keep on thinking of better ways, you know, because when we think about it, you know, maybe on the surface, okay, implants, you know, for your breasts, okay, immediate kind of cosmetic uh, benefit, but like, our breasts are lymphatic tissue, right? And our breasts have... Oh, right it's hormones. Yeah. It's- yeah. I want you to break that down for us. And then tell us, I mean, like walk us through, because people don't even probably know this. Like, so we have silicone and saline. And where do they even get implanted? Do they get behind the muscle and, you know, in front of the muscle? Tell us all of that so people can have this picture of what's really happening. Because if anyone's thinking about doing that out there, I want them to be as educated as possible. And then if people have implants and they're considering an explant, I want us to walk them, walk us through that as well. So let's just start like, how are implants placed? Well, for saline silicone and the surface is different, textured and smooth. And then there's another manufacturer coming out, Motiva, with a, uh, I forget what they're going to call it. They're going to call it like a satin or, or it's a, as a different, but it, it creates more surface area. So it sticks to whatever, wherever you put it. And so, 
if I, so the, your audience, right? Like if this is the chess wall, you have like a, a little, you have like a, you have peck minor and peck major. Right. So, and then above that, this part of my hand, the front part of my hand is like the fat and the breast and the glands and the lymph and the nerves and all of that. Yeah. Right. And it actually sits like, so that's pec minor, right? Sits here. And that's all your brachial plexus, right? Mm. So just, just think about that for a minute, right? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you're here. So you can put it over the muscle and it's underneath the fat and it's a fascial plane which we now know we need those fascial planes. They need to be fluid. They need to be um, liquid and wet and mobile so they can house the fluid and then the lymph can transport and da-da-da-da-da. Or what they do is they cut this muscle and they place the implant cell phone yeah. under the muscle that's mm-hmm. cut. And so depending on the size pec minor like it it just grows and then this splits right or not grows but it, it splits so it can house that yeah so they're implanted they're implanted up high and then they fall mm. but so i love the musculature right so when, when they fall what are they taking with it yeah right and then the scars are here that's a whole other conversation so yeah. this can pull this down and now you have stress yeah rounded shoulders no matter what and no matter how you push them back then your barrel chest up and it it can change your breathing and all of all of that right am i going to no no this is (laughs) this is perfect and Mm -hmm. so depending on the size and this is just for augmentation reconstruction Mm -hmm. is different so when reconstruction you're you're having a full mastectomy and you have to realign the muscles and you have to, they have deflaps, they have all this other kind of thing. And then they'll stick the implant or the expander first underneath to, to expand. So then you can have your, your final implant. But for the most part, it's over or under the muscle. And if it's a um, uh, reconstruction, for the most part, I believe it's under a muscle because they take off all the you know, tissue. all the glands, all the tissue, all of that. But when you, and, and what people forget is when you impact this, one, it's wonderful that we can do so much surgery and so much to the body and the body is forgiving in yeah. a way that it compensates for you. Yeah. In mine, the reason this is, I'm so passionate about it. This is, I had a herniated disc in my neck and no uh-huh. one said it was the implants. Oh, right. And it only happened six months after the implants and I had been doing the whole thing. And so I started to think about the structure and then I started to think about the function. And for me, it was the left side. And one night it, I lost use of my arm. There's so much pain, numbness, especially in these fingers, plastic surgeon didn't know what it was. Orthopedic didn't know what it was. And then they thought, okay, it's a herniated disc. Then I had exertional migraines. Why wouldn't you when yes. this is all connected to your all support? And then, you know, you've got the, you've got the brachial plexus here. Mm-hmm. And if, if people are listening and you don't know what the break, brachial plexus is all about, like this is, this is where you be, it comes out the, the back of the, the neck, the back of the head, the, the vagus nerve, the accessory nerve, like the cranial nerves, like all of these things 
are all tied up here and you can't function without them because they, all the cranial nerves and the sacral nerves, which is part of your spine, are part of the parasympathetic nervous system. Without that, you get dysregulated. When it's under pressure, under stress, tension, it will get dysregulated. And when that gets tense and dysregulated, the lymph gets dysregulated. And when the lymph gets dysregulated, the hormones can get dysregulated, you know. Yeah. I hadn't put together the brachial plexus and the neck, you know, the cervical spine, you know, dislocations or kind of stress. So so that's a whole nother, you know, awareness for me. So thank you. Did you have yours above the muscle or underneath the muscle? Under the muscle. And I didn't realize they cut the muscle. Yeah. And after they explanted for this, I was like, I think I'm five. I'm five years out, so it's been a little while. Yeah. Um, I love that I have to think about it. They right. didn't repair it right away. I ended up like three years later getting a seroma, blah, 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 and then they repaired the muscle. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, mine was under the muscle. And did you have saline or silicone? I had silicone. Okay. Yep. It wasn't the gummy bear, but it was the gel. It was a similar to a gummy bear style. Mine were Allergan. Mm-hmm. And then isn't there's a conversation about the lining, like having like even toxicants or irritants in the lining. So it's not only you have like what's in the implant, but the you already mentioned kind of the outer kind of shell. So can you walk us through what might be in there? Yeah. This, is, this, this gets me so heated, this one. Yeah. First of all, the whether it's saline or silicone, the shell is a is siloxane. It is a silicone. So if you have a saline implant, you have a silicone and saline implant. Yeah. The shell is cross-linked, a man-made cross-link silicone, silicone, silicone to maybe, you know, oxygen, hydrogen, like whatever it is. And so uh, the FDA made the companies test this shell to see how durable it is in many ways. Their biocompatibility testing that they did was I know, 37 degrees, which is body temperature, for 90 days in serum. Some companies use bovine serum. Someone might use porcine serum, like just serum, blood serum, animal serum. And they sat the smallest implant in this vat of serum, and they measured what came out of the implant. Saline might have less silicone than in the whole of the implant, than silicone filled implants, but the shell again is the same. And so what they found is something called extractables and volatiles, and they measured those. And for the most part, they're from uh, the different molecular size silicones from D4 to like, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, like let's say 28, right? Mm -hmm. And let's before we leave, let's talk about the small molecular weight silicones, but you found them in both. Yeah. And you also found measurable, measurable other materials, like 16 other ones, which 11 of, a wh- of which, when you look it up, uh, can be harmful in, to the body in some way, shape, or form. And then you have a list of metals that were found. Yeah. Please, people, this was at 37 degrees for 90 days, no friction, no motion, no temperature difference, no in vivo, no in-person testing to see how this leaches it or and how this affects. So they did a mathematical equation that said over time you will get X amount of silicone in 
the body. Mm. What I want them to tell us is what then does the silicone do with, I mean, do in the body? How does it biodegrade? How does it biotransfer? How does it bioabsorb? What does it do? Mm -hmm. And we don't have that information. And so the shell being man-made just begins to slough and move and expand in the heat and the body movements. And there are just like leaky gut, you could use the same scenario as that eventually that shell and sometimes they have different bilayers. So it might get out of one and take another year to get out of another and so on, but it just, it just bleeds Mm. and it bleeds silicone. It oozes silicone. It leaches silicone. You don't even have to be ruptured. It's not a silent rupture. It's not a rupture. This is just what it does. Yeah. I think that that's such an important point because a lot of women, when they're considering explants, they're like, well, you know, my explants aren't, you know, leaking or there's no damage or, you know, they, so they might think they aren't at risk or don't have, or, you know, have more time, I guess, to consider these things. But that that's a really important point that you just mentioned. Yeah. What's so. really cool is there's a doctor by the name of Eduardo Flore out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh-huh. He's a radiologist. And he studies something called silicone-induced granulomas. And he's the only one that reads, his facility is the only one that reads them right now. So we're working towards getting people trained in the U.S. and other other places, but that's going to take some time, right? Um, but he's got a lot of publications on this. And so when I see clients and we're unsure what we want to do, or we're just nervous and they're fine. Some people don't have these BII symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. So let's look. Now, the FDA, get this, they just changed it. They now require or recommend, excuse me, they never use the term require. For example, all implants are black box labeled right now, right? Mm -hmm. So, and the only person who knows that is the physician or the plastic surgeon, unless they consent you in this way. So anything going in, they're all black box warning, like just like the cigarettes were back in, was that the 70s? Yeah. Yeah. And, but on the cigarettes, you can put the, you know, the cancer, the esophagus cancer and the different things like that. So people like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't smoke that, but they can't do that on a breast implant box. So anyway, long story short, we'll look to see if you have a granuloma. The coolest thing about this granuloma is boom. If you have it, you have inflammation and then maybe it's time to either a, for me, I say explant and let's figure out another way to have you feel how you want to feel, right? Or it's at least time to change it out and then look for that granuloma again every two years or whatever the end is. So the FDA recommends that you get an MRI at five years and then every two to three years after just to look at breast implant integrity. They don't recognize yet silicone-induced granuloma. So why are they saying that you should look at it so detail. And they used to say two to three years and then every, you know, two years after. Mm. If you look at the the summary of safety effectiveness data sheets from each manufacturer, like I did, because like, that's just what I do in my spare time, right? (laughs) You will see that 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 four-year mark, like the three to four-year mark implants start to rupture. Mm. I'm not talking a car accident. I'm not talking like 
you know, like you were shoveling and you got hit with a shovel and, yeah. and one of the breasts or how else could you have a physical rupture, right? This is what they call a silent rupture. Mm. The greatest things about the saline is that it will deflate and you know it's ruptured because it's water, it's saline. The worst yeah. things about the saline is that it's moist, it's wet, it loves to create a terrain for mold and bacteria and fungus and all the things, right? Right. Keeping in, if you guys, if anyone out there has breast implants, there are things we can do to keep you safe and healthy. And in 2023, we will launch that profile because. Oh, good. um, Excuse me. I said, oh, good. Yeah, because it shouldn't be all about like doom and gloom, but how do we keep ourselves healthy? MRI is definitely one of them. Because Mm -hmm. when you think about. The news that came out around BIA ALCO, which is a lymphoma specifically made by a breast implant, specifically the textured implant, right? Um, we need to be able to measure that before you get as sick as you can or help your system before you get as sick as you can get with a lymphoma. Mm-hmm. Right now, the Western medicine only looks at a big seroma. Oh, you have a seroma. Let's test the fluid. Mm. And then that explant, right? But mm. we all know that sometimes you'll test the fluid and maybe you don't get the markers. Like for that, it's CD30 is the first marker that they look at, but there's other definitives from there. And there's many people that will have a seroma with a high CD30, but not definitive for lymphoma. What does that mean? We, we don't know. I can guess that it's an inflammatory T cell cascade, blah, 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 blah. And then some people could get a B cell cascade and have a different kind of cancer. Um, And there's other cancers associated with just because you have an implant. And one of those is squamous cell carcinoma. And that when it's rarer, and it usually happens if, if you got your first set of implants, like at 20 years, 20 years ago, and so 22 years, something around that, some people are developing squamous cell carcinoma now. Oh, wow. Wow. And why we're finding this out now is because in silicone implants were banned for a while, a moratorium. And then around 2006, they came back on the market. And it's only 2023. So right. it's perfect timing. We just didn't know. And there's no real complete long-term post-market studies on breast implants. So... So goodness. Um sorry, I know it's a lot. <laughs> I'm just like thinking, gosh, wow. Um, you know, I I keep on coming back to like if people were really informed, would they make, you know, the decision? You know what I mean? Like that that's kind of what I was contemplating. And I know that we're all, you know, human and there's no judgment. It's just like like new, like the risks and the monitoring. And I, I just don't think that's disclosed in the way that you would have. No. Oh God, no. Yeah. When I went five years, it's changing, right? So yeah. now there's in some states, there's laws that are passed that your doctor has to give you this checklist. And if he doesn't do it, he can actually be arrested or lose his license. Wow. In many other states, most of them, it's just a checklist that's recommended by the FDA. And the manufacturers have to make sure they're the people who put in their implants are trained to do it. So it's changing and people should be informed. And that happened, shoot, I want to say 2021. Okay. So we should really be seeing that rolled out. 
Like the biggest thing that I wish they did do is inform. Like I know several clients and I mean, I think I would have said no, just because if they told me the truth about, hey, if you have a pre-existing autoimmune disease or chronic fatigue or asthma, this could exacerbate that. Right. So if they already know that, what else do they know that they're not saying? And that was never disclosed. It was written down that I had Graves' disease that they were putting the implants in. And there was never a conversation. And I'm a PA who studies medical devices. I just thought everything was studied like a pacemaker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently not. Um, Yeah. But Well, that's helpful that there's been some change, right? And there's yeah. you know, been more, you know, information. So that that gives me hope. And then, you know, what I I mean, what I'd love to hear is your story of how you had them explanted and then, you know, walking people through. I mean, this is a whole process and a lot of your work, you know, is um safe and supported explant removal, right? You know, when people yeah. are let's just start with your story. So I had, I'll start at the explant. And that's when I really, I mean, it was clear as day aha moment for me. And, and prior to now, I'm definitely clearer now than I was before, right? Or more in tune. And so that was really eye opening. And then the journey after that was I thought, okay, I'm done. They're out. I'm fine. And like, I think my first flare was, uh, oh, this is hard to remember. Yeah. Uh, three months after. And it it hit me like a ton of bricks because what came at me at the time is not only like, did I feel like crap mm-hmm. and all the, the symptoms, the achy, the tired, the fatigue, the swelling, didn't know anything about lymph then, mm-hmm. but it was like, I got it wrong. I shouldn't have explanted. I still have this stuff. It wasn't the implants. Like, and, but I just had three months of reprieve, right? So the self-talk was the hardest to deal with when I had my first flare. And then the, and it was, and actually if I, in hindsight, that flare was less than the intensity as when when I had the implants. Mm. And then I think I had another flare, maybe another three months, and that was less intensity. And then Mm. maybe four months and then less intensity and so on. And so that's when I started to go, huh? <laughs> like, why is that? Yeah. And then I started taking lymph classes and fascia classes and SCAR. And uh, I studied through Baral Institute for Visceral Manipulation and Somatic Experiencing and started to incorporate this in my clinic and in my practice. And when I started to open up the lymph, which you are like... right the drainage pathways then came next and unfolding that and honestly for the majority of folks I hate the word detox I just do for this group especially if you have the gel bleed which you do anyone with implants does or a ruptured you gotta keep that lymph moving you gotta and you've gotta understand where they are and self-assess and feel if there you have nodes and move them and there's there's a heat is a wonderful thing there's a lot of herbal medicines that are a wonderful thing and then there's a lot of like um 
in my journey, like the lymph enhancement technology or ST8 machine or anything vibrational, like so many of these things opened up a world to me around lymph. And so if you, I'm over-exaggerating, but not much, you take care of that lymph. Yeah. You're taking care of your immune system, your nervous system, all like to take care of the lymph, you have to take care of your nervous system. Yep. Right. And if you don't take care of the lymph, your immune system's not going to be great. Your fascia is going to be stiff. You're not going to be able to move the interstitial fluid. You're not going to be able to exchange the the carry around the hormones. And then you're not going to be able to take out the toxins. So if there's any first detox, it's that. And it's drainage, right? Because it's what's going to bring it either through the liver or or through the kidneys or through the tissues or through the breath. Right. So so this is a big part of what I do in my life. Like I still have to manage my well-being since BII, since the implants. It's easier as I get, I don't know that it's easier. I just now eat totally different than I once did, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still doing all the things. Like I have a full press sitting right over there, right? That I'll get in after this and different things like that. Like, but it's, it's my life now. Yeah. And and I have vitality and I have energy and I might not have it if I don't do certain things. Right. Yeah. So helping people is now what I do because it's, you know, what I do for some or for my clients may not work for everybody. Mm-hmm. But so far, when you meet that person and you figure out where they're stagnant, Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's emotion. Sometimes that's thought processes. Sometimes it's scar tissue. Like it's all of that. Like you start opening that up and you focus there. They seem to do well and then replace nutrient deficiencies. Right. And how do you find that and system deficiencies? Like I like organic acid and mm-hmm. other people might like mineral micronutrient analysis and things like that. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that in I, that was a little bit less oh, about no, no. me, but yeah, yeah, no, I I think that was really helpful. I mean, and you know, it's like um, this process, right? It's kind of when you go through something like this. I think a lot of our mindset is like with anything in health. I do this, I'm done, you know, and it's like, I so wanted that. Yeah. But it's really, I do this and I'm on this whole new journey, right? You know, it's this whole, um, and then the silver lining in this though, is that when you tend to your lymph and when you tend to your body in this way on a regular basis, that just opens you up for more and more health and vitality as you're, you know, you're sharing. So, so no, I, I think that was a really good point. And one thing that I I'm, I heard from you, and I don't know if everybody realizes this. So when you get the implants out, there's a very distinct kind of removing the capsule, right? And, oh, not, right. and not everybody does that um, in this way. So just tell us about that, because that was shocking to me when I heard you talk the, about this. Yeah. I look at the capsule as the catcher's mitt of yeah. everything that's coming out of the implant. And it's the catcher's mitt that your body built to protect you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what we find in that catcher's mitt is silicone bacteria. On that point there, like, I just want people to really take in. It's like you have these implants and your body builds a wall around them. <laughs> like, 
Like, I mean, hello, (laughs) like how amazing is that? First of all, that the body does that. Um, And second of all, it kind of leads us to this point of like, it's clearly like in my study of the body, the body tries to wall off toxicity to protect. The body is amazing. Yeah. It's just like, hello, whoa, you know. It corners you off and it tells you to go sit in the corner. And then, and then some of us get capsular contracture. This is why we have the different Baker, they call them Baker stages, which is the capsule one to four. Four is contracture. And sometimes that's all the way up to that point. The capsule can go all the way up to under your collarbone because of the friction and the body is going to protect you off. And again, what's happening here, right? And so, and I wish, I wish I had, I wish Freer was here, but um, I wish I had a, a, so remember how we talked about the implant under the muscle? Yeah. What is right behind that muscle other than that little teeny, teeny peck minor? Your rib cage. Your intercostal space right there. And how thick is that? It's not that thick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At best, and I'm talking not the fat fingers, but the space in in between here, it's not even that thick. It could be this thick. And uh, Dr. Fang showed that when you remove the implants, your breath gets bigger. Yeah. Not your breath, the breath. Yeah. yeah. The lung expansion, your tidal volume gets bigger. You can breathe again. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember my first breath. That was like, oh, wow. Right. Just goodness. So there's things happening. And then if that gets so tight, you know, underneath each rib is a, is a nerve and that's sympathetic overdrive and you get sympathetic overdrive happening, but yet now you're decreasing all your parasympathetic. Like how many people are meditating and breathing and, you know, looking at their sleep and we are compensating so well for the things that are going on in our body. And there are people out there that not only choose this, which is is fine, but they can't remove them right now. So I think it's up to you and me and all the practitioners out there. How do we help them? And yeah. how do we help them at, at the best? Yeah. And did you have your capsule removed? I was told my capsule was removed. Yeah. And they removed more on the second surgery. Now, that said, when you have surgery, what does your body do? It brings fluid and nutrients to heal and you can create more scar tissue right i think this won't be known until after i've gone but Mm -hmm. what i find interesting is when you have a leaky something and you have a catchment that's like saran wrap thin and you have the silicone migrate through the body where might it stay and we don't it's not like you can see it. It's not like we have a stain yet for it because it's so, yeah. but how do we get that away from the, the, the pocket that remains once the breast implants are gone and, or the capsule and the breast implants are gone. Yeah. Right. And so inflammation will then now, cause your body's brilliant. It's going to wall it off. And this is, I had a seroma because they pulled the drains too early, but in my seroma capsule, they found silicone. Mine were like a year, nine months old, pristine when they came out. No rupture, no anything. Why was silicone found in my seroma capsule three years later after explant and capsulectomy? So yeah, so it is important no matter what 
plastic surgery, no matter what doctor tells you to remove all the capsule, all the capsule. Yeah. It's great if they take it out end block. So end block is like, or complete where you take the implant and the capsule all together. Yeah. It can be pretty tricky for some. Yeah. And you want it to be safe for you, right? So you want to go to someone who's very experienced. You want to go to somebody who understands what you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and not someone who just said, oh, I'm going to le- need to leave it behind for the sake of not risking your life. Then in my world, now that I know the st- statistics out there in the explant world, it's it's more risky to put an implant in than it is to take it out in experienced, trained hands. So mm. yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get backlash for that one, but it's true. Look yeah. at Dr. Stephen Nicolaitis's report and Dr. Ryan Brunswick's report, and you will see the adverse event rates. And they did it from when they were beginning and learning how to do all this. I mean, you're taught in school, but you don't do it every day yeah. so, till now. And the risk of adverse events are really low. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And so, yeah, that's fascinating and really great advice. And then, um, you know, you mentioned some really great information again about getting the lymph moving and that, you know, to, you know, really helps the body recover. Do you think about like systemic herbs or supplements or treatments that can, you know, bind to silicon in the body and kind of help assist the removal as you're getting the lymph um, moving? Yeah. Honestly, to date, we don't have data on any binder that binds to silicone. Right. It's not like a metal that's positively charged. Right. It's bound together. We don't know what some of the charges are. And usually it's neutral to negative. Mm. So I called the Zeolite and TRS company and and they're like, no, it won't bind to silicone. That said, there's enough silicone in your body to dysregulate your methylation to make you hold on to everything from lead, mercury, arsenic. Oh, that's another part of the story I forgot to tell. Oh, yeah. um, I, I asked them to test my metals, meaning in my capsules, but they tested my urine for metals. And they had to call the CDC because my arsenic level was so high. And they were like, who's trying to kill you? And I'm like nobody's trying to kill me. Like, and they're like, do you eat a lot of rice? I'm like, I don't eat any rice. I'm a no carb girl, right? Like in order to try to keep my 49 year old six pack and stuff. I'm like, I'm not eating rice. Like, what? yeah. Um, And so, and then on my follow-up, I think that was like a month later or two or two weeks later, some end. It's so long ago. I can't remember anymore. That was back down to normal. Diet didn't change at all. And what removed was the implants. I think it was a month later. Yeah. The system was able to upregulate, level up, do what it needed to do. And I found that interesting. So when Zeolite and when uh, TRS and when the different binders help, I think that is because it's removing the positively charged ions that are there that are negative. So you're you're removing the low-hanging fruit, which is great. Yeah. There yeah. is conversation out there that a fulvic acid is a small enough molecule to bind to the silicone, the small molecular weight silicone. And Tim from uh, Cellcore Biosciences is 
he's leading that conversation. Uh, and I find that very intriguing. So I definitely use binders because you're trying to get all the inflammation down. And I don't know anyone who has BII, like the symptoms of BII, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't have gut issues. So you would still do all the things, but drainage pathways, like as soon as you get stuck, go back to the basics. Like you can't push like a parasite die off um, if your drainage isn't open. Yeah. So, so I do, I do bind and, but I do use it for other reasons. And I might use um, inistatol, but for other reasons. Yeah. I don't know where it started, but it said inistatol can help you detox silicone. No, I think you, I think it helps you de. I think it helps you deal with the symptoms that the silicone is causing, but I don't think it show me if someone has an article that says, Oh no, it does this and it does this. And here's the data. I'd love to see it. Yeah. It's a great supplement, but it doesn't remove silicone to me. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I'm sure more and more information that's going to continue to come out and we'll have more and more sophisticated tools. But as we have been saying in this conversation, if you, you know, do the work and, you know, treat the body and open the body, how it's meant to, you know, work and just, you know, support and amplify its natural ability to detox this will be removed. I'm curious, you know, with the blood filtration techniques out there now, like EBU and like the inospherosis in Germany and stuff, like the in Switzerland, like that is helpful for removing silicon. I, I think I, I'm just actually remembering Dr. Ralph Ottmeyer, who has Alpstein Clinic in Switzerland, I believe they were able to get silicone out of somebody who had breast implant illness. In the Watt, there was a big chunk of sil- like silicone in the bag. It's like the yeah. sil- blood filtration. So, I mean, until until we get more sophisticated kind of, you know, hey, you're going to have to go to Switzerland and figure that out, yeah. right? You know, yeah, and I heard some good things about the Germany site as well, but yeah. I, don't, I honestly don't know enough. I will there's, a, there's, a, there's a piece of equipment that came out of um, this guy, Dr. Straba, who has, um, he developed a technology that now he can sell to multiple clinics. So it's in a number of clinics now, and it's called Inospheresis, and it um, used to be the apheresis machine. So there's there's a number of them in Europe. They're not allowed in the U.S. yet. The FDA doesn't let them in. So our our best kind of option is EBU, um, which is the blood ozonation and oxygenation that filters and we don't know what that does but we're all assuming it does more than we think just because of the results oh and the ozone i mean like whether it filtered out silicone or not like i think there's promise there okay so and if you wanted me to get really geeky i would want to know more about the filter yeah see how that does for silicone specifically but just like anistatol and these other binders I'm still going to use them. Yeah. Um, there's a, re- there's a research study by Dr. Rita Capel. She mm-hmm. did an autopsy on a lady who donated her body post death, obviously. And she had a uh, BII and explant and she had ruptured and she looked for the silicone along the body. And the reason why I say keep the lymph moving and open up the drainage pathways is because the majority of the silicone she found was in the gut. It was in the liver. It was in the intestines. It was in all of this. And many of the BII ladies will have like a lot of insulin resistance in liver, fatty liver, and non-alcoholic fatty liver. If it can get here from here, 
right? It's not like it just falls there. <laughs> like it has to travel there. Then things are traveling. So how do we keep the brain moving, the body moving, the lymph moving, the fascia moving? How do we keep that hydrated? Like hydrated is something that's totally different than just drinking a cup of water now for me when, yeah. when I think of it. Yeah. And so that is why I think we have, I think we can breathe it out. We have, there's data on low molecular weight being breathed out, which oh, is awesome. Great. And yeah. then I haven't seen the stool tests yet, yeah. but if it's gotten to the intestines and, and the mesentery and the liver and the kidneys, then I think we can poop and pee it out yeah. so, and sweat it out. Like we see, I wish I, I wish I had the presentation here. Oh, I don't think I showed it. Did I show it then? There was a, I have a lady who had this excoriation on her chin that just wouldn't heal. And then she'd get another one here and then it would become like purulent and it take a long time to heal. So we're like, let's test it. Let's test it. So we tested the one on her chin and we found silicone fibers in there. Oh, um, so I know it. And that's not the only one, but I know it comes out the skin. Yeah, the body. So we have to keep moving and we have to keep, you know, yeah. doing things. Yeah. Well, this is um, been a, <laughs> an incredible tour um, around all this. So I hope that, you know, people are listening and they're considering breast implants. They're totally sold not to get them. Um, and then if they have them, that they feel empowered by their options and kind of ways to mitigate um, the impact on them while they're um, making a very conscientious and, you know, measured decision on, you know, how to be the best supported to get these removed. Because ultimately, I do think um, that is the best uh, for the yeah. body long term. So, Danielle, um, thank you so much for your wisdom and your knowledge. Is there anything else left on your heart or your mind that you want to share with the audience? You know, it's a healing journey. Mm-hmm. And so whether you have implants now and and you feel fine, you know, just do the screening, at least the screening that the FDA says to do. So you can monitor whether you have implants or not. If anyone says to you, oh, that's just menopause or life at 50 should be flat, right? Yeah. Uh, not flat, flat like... um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, like anxiety ridden or depressed or yeah. lackluster. Can I say that's bullshit on here? Like that's, it's, <laughs> it's not, that's not good enough. It's not, I'm 56. Yeah. Life is good. Life is rich. Like, like you, we talked, I think right before this and my, my friend, Sarah Felipe, who also does like uh reversing breast implant illness. She, mm. she supports women. We're talking about what beauty is now. Mm. What beauty is now is it's not what I t- was told it is. It's deeper. It's richer. It's being with family. It's being with friends. It's owning that vitality and doing things in my life to make sure I have more of that. Yeah. And not because I have to, because I'm sick, but that's what being sick taught me. Right. And so there's a, you know, I travel more, I do more. I, and if I, if it's a big travel, cause I still get tired, then I, you know, I prepare for it. Like it's a, a marathon and that's fun for me. Life, I think should be however you define it. Right. And then find your parameters within that for the juice. I mean, right. Mm. So see where you fall in this. 
And when it comes time to question your implants with either an MRI or you're questioning your implants, period, um, make sure you're fully informed. And, you know, even if you go to any plastic surgeon and say, I want to be fully informed about this, you know, I don't want to hear just your thoughts and I don't, I want to know exactly the research and things like that. And, and they are obligated to tell you the FDA has a great website now that tells you some guidelines and things that you should know about breast implants. That's a great place to start, right? So we have resources. And then if you have to explant, make sure you go to an experienced plastic surgeon or oncologist to remove it. Breastimplantillness.com is a great site and you can go to their website and then you can go to their explant surgeon list and they have some vetted surgeons that you can use. If you have any concerns, if you have any unique swelling or strange contractures that you didn't have before, that warrants an assessment from like your, at least your primary care doctor or plastic surgeon, because there are cancers out there that you want to rule out as early as possible. Yeah. Not to scare people, but the more we know about breast health and breast implant health, the more we can you know, be empowered with our choices moving forward, right? And then you'll follow that trajectory. And just know that there is a wide range of healing that happens after explant. Some people are fine right away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was not one of them, right? Most people can use the drainage pathways opening, like, and that means a whole slew of things from organs and livers working to lymph and bowels and things like that. So find a practitioner that can help you there. And I think the majority of people will do well just with that. Yeah. And those who don't, because there will be that too, then they're going to need more testing, you know? Yeah. And, and But once your drainage pathways are clear, then it takes the static out. And then what really is it? Is it really a hormone imbalance? Is it Lyme? Is it mold? Like it gives yeah. a clear picture. Yeah. Actually a very beautiful systematic thing to do and there's communities out there for women to grow in and learn from and have vitality with and there's life post-explant for sure yeah oh well you know this was fantastic and I so enjoy hearing your story and learning from you and thank you for giving people so much information and hope. And Danielle, where can people find you and where can people learn from you? Please share uh, yeah. best sites. So if people would like to learn more, there's a there's a website called breastimplanthealth.com, uh, breast, breastimplanthealthsummit.com. And then mm-hmm. if you want to reach out to me, you can either find me through breastimplanthealthsummit.com or Navwell on Instagram or uh, navwellrx.com is my business name. And I help women heal from BII and people from, you know, they'll find me. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're doing this work. And thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you, Christine. (laughs) Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Danielle Valores. Please check out her website at breastimplanthealthsummit.com. Also her website at navwellrx.com. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, we are so grateful for you. And we talked a lot about the limp in our conversation today with Danielle. 
and I have created a lymphatic product line, especially if you're suffering with breast implant illness, you might uh, consider lymph flow, which you can use topically to support lymphatic drainage. Um, so check that out at our ipothecarystore.com. And we are so grateful uh, for you being part of this community. Thank you and have a beautiful day.